Good morning, Mission Hills. I want to thank the young man who led our worship this morning. Thank you for that. And it's good to be back here. Um, your pastor, Ryan, and I, um, I think we've we decided to do this on a yearly basis now. And so last year, around this time, I was here. And then we were figuring out what time we wanted to do it this, this go-around. And we said Martin Luther King Day weekend. And then I was like, I need to push back. So this is sort of Martin Luther King Day-ish. Um, but I'm very happy to be back here. Uh, I met Ryan uh, when he was 15. He was in high school. We were in Waco, Texas. I was going into my senior year at Baylor University, and he was going into his sophomore year in high school. And I got a job at a moving company that his dad ran. And we worked with there was three Baylor students, 20 ex-cons, and Ryan. Uh, I was doing it to make money for tuition. Uh, the convicts was doing it to make parole. And uh, I guess Ryan was doing it for some life lesson. Uh, but I quickly saw the, uh, the goodness in him. And I said, you know what, I have to take this kid under my, my wing, teach him everything I know. And as a result, look at this church. Got a beautiful wife. Graduated from one of the most prestigious seminaries in the country. And so, Ron, you're welcome. You've made me very proud. Wanna, since I wasn't able to print this out, I'm going to move, move this. I don't want to put my, my MacBook on here. I don't have Apple Care. Uh, see if this works. Uh, before I do get started, I want to um, acknowledge, I have some friends here this morning. This is my peanut gallery. I uh, want to introduce them. Uh, first, my friend Takara, we met in uh, Washington, D.C. almost over 10 years ago. Um, we've known each other so long. She was my date to President Obama's inaugural ball. And I was like... Wow, this is sure going to impress her. And uh, it did not. Uh, and we remain friends. Uh, her colleague, Angel, uh, both Takara and Angel, they uh, danced for a pretty high-profile performer. And I got to see them perform for the first time in Vegas about uh, five or six months ago. And they are incredibly talented. And so thank you guys for coming. Uh, my friend Hector, who was here last year, uh, Hector is my spirit animal. I want to be this guy when I, when I grow up, uh, smart and witty and, what, less than 10% body fat. Uh, I want to be that guy. And uh, they say behind every good man is a good woman, his girlfriend Amelia, thoughtful and reflective, and I guess she's the heart of this whole operation. But thank you guys for being here with me. So, let's get into this. Matthew 14. If you have your Bibles, I believe your Bibles are on the, uh, in front of you. I want to thank Ryan and Andrea for hosting me last night. Had an excellent Thai meal. What was the name of that place? It was Amazing Meal. I am not, by trade, 
a preacher, went to school for, but decided that it wasn't for me. But I'm a documentarian. I make documentary films for a living. And I started my own documentary producing studio about five years ago. And we got good and started making a little money. And so we decided to open up another office in a town called Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, Louisiana is about an hour from my hometown of Tyler, Texas. So I said, I'm going to open up an office down there, give you an opportunity to be closer to home. And so we got a huge project in a town called Alexandria, Louisiana, which is about two hours south of Shreveport. And so on the second day of that shoot, I got an urgent phone call that they needed me back in Shreveport to take care of some pressing financial business matters. So we decided to suspend the shoot in Alexandria. I drove the two hours north to Shreveport, handled what I needed to handle. Then the next day, I drove back to Alexandria. When I got back to Alexandria, I went into the hotel, and the hotel clerk gave me keys, shoved the keys in my bag, went up to the room, shoved the key into the keyhole, and the door didn't work. I jiggled it again, door didn't work. And that's my nature. I did not go seek help, sit here juggling, forcing this key, but the door would not open. The key would not work. So I finally went down to the front desk. I said, my keys don't work to my room. And the, the front desk clerk goes, are you using the right keys? I've gone to some pretty good schools. I'm thinking I know how to use a hotel key, right? And she goes, let me see the keys. Took the keys out of my bag and gave it to her. She goes, oh, no, sir. Because when you left yesterday, we checked you out of your old room. Because this morning, we moved you up to another level. See, the mistake that I was making, I was trying to open today's doors using yesterday's keys. And so that is what we're going to talk about today. And I only bring this up because I think that most of us, or maybe some of us, are stuck outside our places of destiny because we're trying to use yesterday's keys to open up today's doors. We're trying to fight today's battles using yesterday's weapons, and we're trying to construct and do today's task using yesterday's tools. And so for this message, I'm going to give us a new key, a new key to open up our new doors. And that can be found in Matthew 14. To the, um, to the avid Bible reader, Matthew 14 is a familiar story. And we're going to start with the 14th verse. It says... Well, the 14th chapter and the 22nd verse. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we don't have the PowerPoint, so we're going to use our Bibles to uh, follow today's sermon. So, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. 
When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. So just for a few minutes this morning, I have a few scattered thoughts on the topic, the boldness to move forward. And that is the new key I want to give us this morning, boldness to move forward. So here at this story, this story happens after that iconic feeding of the 5,000. Jesus takes the two fish, the loaves of bread, and feeds the, the, the multitude of 5,000. He's exhausted, and they, he's supposed to go across the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. But Jesus decided to stay back and pray and be alone on the mountainside. So he sent his disciples onto the boat to carry on to the other side. And around the fourth watch of the night, which is about three to six o'clock in the morning, a huge storm came up on the Sea of Galilee and started buffeting the boat, and the boat was going to sink. And then Jesus came out like a phantom in the night, walking on the water, and said, Come to Peter. Peter was the only one on this boat who saw himself in this horrible situation. He saw the solution, and he took the risk of stepping out of the boat to go toward Jesus. And so the first boldness key I'm going to give us this morning can be found in verse 29, where Jesus says to Peter, come, come away from this sinking boat. And it said, Peter got down out of the boat. So the first boldness key that I want to give you guys this morning is the boldness to leave sinking situations. There's a guy who went shoe shopping, and he asked the sales clerk for an eight and a half. And the clerk clearly saw that the guy was easily an 11, but he brought the eight and a half to the guy. He saw the guy struggle to put on the shoes, and the the, the shoe salesman go, brother, you can't wear those. He goes, your feet are going to be tore up if you wear these shoes. And the guy goes, I hate my life. I hate my wife. I hate my job. And the only thing I look forward to every day is taking off these shoes. Uh, how sad that a lot of us are in situations that are depressing. A lot of us are in situations that are unfulfilling but yet we still remain in those situations. Here we need to be like Peter, to have the courage to leave a sinking situation. So when we leave these sinking situations, we need to get new nouns in our lives. What are nouns? People, places, and things. 
And so I want to, first of all, encourage you to leave sinking people. I fly a lot for my job. And one day I was flying from Dallas to Las Vegas, but we had a connection through Denver. And when we got to Denver, the flight attendant gets on the intercom and says, those of you who are traveling to Vegas, we need for you to make room for the people getting off in Denver to get their baggage and leave the plane. I thought, hmm, that could preach. In order to leave sinking people, we need to do what that flight attendant said. Make room for some people to get off your plane, take their baggage, and leave. Stop holding on to people who are bringing you down. There was a uh, Bishop G. Patterson from the Temple of Deliverance Church in Memphis preached a similar sermon, and a woman went home and put out her husband. And the next morning, the husband came to the church and shot him. So if you are interpreting this as going home and putting out your spouse, make sure I'm good and gone out of Los Angeles before interpreting this way. But we we need to have the courage to leave sinking people. We also need the courage to leave sinking places. Because where you are is just as important as who you are and what you are. And when you are in your place of destiny, when you are in the right place for your life, your genius emerges. We grew up in East Texas, and we had a stock pond. And I remember when we were stocking the pond one day, they bring the fish to the edge of the pond, sit the fish at the edge of the pond, and then you throw them in. But when you see the fish sitting on the surface, you think, man, fish are stupid. They can't talk. They can't fly. They can't do anything. But as soon as you drop the fish in the water, its genius emerges. It's almost majestic to watch a fish swim. Some of us, we are a fish out of water. And we need to find the place where we belong. How do you find that place? You have to go where you are celebrated and not tolerated. And when you find that place where you are celebrated and not merely tolerated, you are at your place of destiny. So it behooves us to consider, are we at the right place? Are we where we belong? Are we at a place where our genius is being exposed and emerged? Second, third thing, we need to leave seeking people. We need to leave seeking places. But we also need to leave seeking things. Last October, I was in Dallas in the middle of a restaurant and had a stroke. I went to the hospital and we went through the procedures to get it corrected. And the doctor told me, he goes, Chris, you're going to have to stop drinking. You have to stop going out. You have to start going to bed early. And when my brother got to the hospital, he said, what did the doctor say? He said, I think the doctor says I'm going to die. Just couldn't give up those things. But I had to have a complete lifestyle change in order to live my life and live it more abundantly. We need to give up certain things in our lives. There's certain habits. There's certain hobbies. There's certain patterns that are sinking us down. So first, I I encourage us to have, like Peter, the boldness to leave sinking situations, to leave sinking people, to leave sinking places, 
and to leave sinking things. Second, let's go back to the scripture. It says in verse 29, uh, then let's, no, let's move to 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, cried out. This is a sad part of the story. Here, Peter walks out on the water. He leaves his sinking situation. He steps foot on water. And physics tell us that we are to sink. But Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water. Pretty remarkable, huh? Men do not walk on water. It's just not capable for us to do so. But Peter was doing it. And when Peter, instead of him looking at this remarkable feat that he's doing, instead he focused on the winds and the waves around him. So, our second boldness key. The first one, the boldness to leave sinking situations. The second one is the boldness to accept that you are capable of doing remarkable things. Some of us are bewildered when we put in our best efforts and then we get our best results. We think something must be wrong here. I would go out. I was young when I moved to Las Vegas. I would press my pants, comb my hair, put on a nice shirt, go out to meet girls. And then when I found a girl who was responsive to me, I was like, what? She must be crazy. <laughs> was not able to accept that I was capable of doing remarkable things. About a year ago, LeBron James scored 48 points on the Pistons, and a, a, a sports writer asked him, he goes, were you surprised? And LeBron James said, why should I be surprised? Because LeBron James was comfortable with knowing that he is capable of doing remarkable things. We need to get comfortable with cultivating an environment of excellence around us. Not looking at the haters, not looking at the people who say you can't do this, not looking at the people who say, oh, you're too stupid, you're too dumb, you're not smart enough, you're not tall enough. You are capable of doing remarkable things. And when you are doing your remarkable thing, the only competitor you have is yourself. Look, no one said that the waves knocked Peter down. No one said that the wind sunk Peter. Peter's lack of focus and his lack of acknowledging that he was doing a remarkable thing is what brought him down. So do not be bewildered or befuddled by your best results. When I was a kid... We used to have this thing called track and field day. And on track and field day, you raced other people in your class. And the, the, the class with the most points get rewards. And you practice for three weeks. And so my particular race was the 100-yard dash. And they had me in a specific heat that I lost every time at the practice. I was like, man, I'm going to look stupid on track and field day. So my brother started working with me to help me get my speed and my coordination down. And then on the day of track and field day, I'm at the line, the starter shoots the gun, and boom, we take off. And what do you know? My best results 
my best efforts were getting my best results. I was in first place. Couldn't believe it. I'm running hard, sweating hard. And I'm like, I'm in first place. And what did I do? So I looked to my right to see if anybody was gaining on me. I looked to my left. Nobody was gaining on me. My best effort were getting my best results. I looked around again, nobody, wow, am I this fast? Looked around, and then when I looked around this way, something happened and my feet got tangled up. And I tripped and fell. Lost the race, still got third. Uh, but, but, but lost the race because I was more worried about my competition than I was accepting the fact that I was doing a remarkable thing. We have to get comfortable with the notion that you are capable of awesomeness. Third, so we have the boldness to lead sinking situations. We have the boldness to accept that we are capable of doing remarkable and amazing things. And the third thing, which is probably the most crucial, the boldness to reach for help. Let's go back to verse 30. But when Peter saw the winds, he was afraid, he began to sink, and he cried out, what? Lord, save me. A third boldness key is the boldness to reach for help. Off the, in that ancient world, off the boot of Italy, was the Strait of Messina, it was a narrow stretch of water that connected the Ionian Sea and the Tiberian Sea. And sailors all around knew about the Strait of Messina because on the right side of the entrance of the strait was a whirlpool. And on the, on the right side of the entrance of the strait lied a huge rock. And sailors all around knew that if you go too far left, your boat got into the whirlpool and was sank. They knew that if you get too far right, you would hit the rock, it would crash your boat, and you would sink. And sailors all around the world knew the Strait of Messina. It's where we literally get the term stuck between a rock and a hard place. They knew that, that, that narrowing the go, the go through the Strait of Messina was a, was a harrowing task. You had to be focused. And so God allows himself to be found at the intersection of, of, of Rock Avenue and Hard Place Boulevard. That is where he allows himself to be found. In the Straits of Messina, Dr. Edward Douglas says, he allows himself to be found when life is in the Straits. In my own personal testimony, after my father passed, I walked away from one of the most prestigious graduate schools in this country. I, I went from being somebody to nobody, being, being taught by some of the world's greatest professors, to watching Judge Judy on my brother's couch. Uh, but it was at this moment, at this time of darkness, at this time I was at Rock Boulevard and Hard Place Avenue, that God allowed me to find him. And that is the message of this. When Peter cried help, what does the scripture say Christ did? It said immediately Christ reached his hand to save Peter. And so for the first 
boldness to reach for help, you must first seek help from the right people. Stop getting constructive criticism to people who've never constructed anything. Stop getting relationship advice for people who can't keep a relationship. Stop getting career advice from people who can't keep a job. You must first seek help from the right people. I grew up with my grandmother. My brother and I grew up with my grandmother. And we had a first cousin, his name was Art, who would come and visit us during the summertime. And one day, we were having a a dispute, a disagreement, if you will, over French fry distribution. We just got home from McDonald's, and I felt that my brother took more than his share. I confronted him about it, and he slapped me. I ran out of the room. My cousin Art comes up to me and goes, Chris, this has to end today. Say, your brother's a bully. You got to stop him. He goes, so what I want you to do is I want you to go back in that room and slap him back in the face. And he goes, when you slap him and he starts getting the better of you, I'm going to jump in. I said, okay. We had a plan. I walked into the room, kicked open the door, had the swagger of a John Wayne, walked right up to my brother and slapped him in the face. After that, there were three more hits. My brother hitting my face, me hitting the floor, and my cousin Art hitting the door. Stop relying on help from people who can't even help themselves. You have to seek help from the right people. Second of all, you have to seek help from the right place. I told you about that Scylla and Charybdis, uh, the whirlpool and the rock, narrowing, trying to get through the straits. That's where God allows himself to be found. He is in the midst of your storms. He is in the midst of your winds. He is in the midst of the hardest times in your life. He is there waiting for you to cry out, Lord, save me. He does not hesitate. He reaches forth his hand to help his child. He doesn't come during the first watch of the night. The ancients divided the nights into the four watches. The first watch was 9 to 12. Second watch, no, the first watch was 6 to 9. Second watch, 9 to 12. Third watch, 12 to 3. Last watch, the fourth watch, was 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. What is the hardest part of the night? The fourth watch of the night. When every piece of your being cries out for sleep. When the lactic acid builds up and say, get some rest. It is in those moments. It is in the fourth watch of the night scenarios that God allows himself to be found. And so, seek help from the right place. And we also have to seek help from the right position. What do I mean by that? Watchman Nee, that self-taught, anti-didactic Chinese Christian of the 20th century, wrote a little book called The Normal Christian Life. And in this book, he tells of a story of he and his fellow Chinese brothers in Christ went down to their favorite swimming hole to swim. There was only one good swimmer out of this group of about 10, and one of the weak swimmers began to drown. And when he was drowning, everyone looked up at the good swimmer 
to jump down and save him. But the good swimmer was just sitting there, perched on the rock, looking down at the brother struggling. The, the, the poor swimmer went down once. Save him, they cried out to the good swimmer. The good swimmer didn't budge, just sat looking. The weak swimmer went down again. Save him, they cried out to the good swimmer. The good swimmer did nothing. The, the guy went down for the third time and said, why won't you save him? And then all of a sudden, the good swimmer jumps down from his rock and with a few swift swimmer strokes, got to that drowning brother, pulled him to the shore. And after things that got settled, Watchman Nee said he went to that good swimmer with hate in his heart and said, why did you not save that brother when he was drowning? The good swimmer said, look, had I jumped in when he first went in, he was thrashing the water so hard that had I jumped in then, he, he was so rigid and afraid that he would have taken us both down. The good swimmer said, I had to wait until he went limp. I had to wait until he got weak for me to jump in and save him. And that is the story of our lives. Some of us, we are not too weak to be useful. We're too strong to be useful. We're too prideful to be useful. And God is waiting for you to go limp. And that is when he becomes your Lord. He is waiting for you to say, Lord, I need help. He waits he waits and he waits until you are weak and humble enough, and that is when he comes in and saves you. It's the fourth watch of the night situation. So seek help from the right people. Seek help from the right places. And seek help from the right position. I almost choked to death in an IHOP once. I was choking on roast beef. I was too prideful to interrupt people's pancake dinners, to say I needed help. I would have rather died in IHOP than to seek out for help. Seek help from the right position. Seek help from the right place and seek help from the right people. I'll close with a story of this elementary school teacher who was going around her class as her children were drawing photos. She stopped at one girl and she said, what are you drawing? The little girl said, I'm drawing God. And the teacher goes, no one knows what God looks like, dear. And the little girl goes, they will in a minute. <laughs> what is your portrait of God? Are you drawing God as big? Are you drawing him as powerful? Are you drawing him in your life as invisible? When people look at your portrait of your God, is he weak? Is he small? Is he irrelevant? How you create your God in your life determines the boldness that you will have to move forward. It is time for us to stop telling God how big our problems are. And we need to start telling our problems just how big our God is. And that is why in Hebrews 4th chapter 16th verse, it says, let us now come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us 
in our time of need. Go boldly. Live boldly. Act boldly. Think boldly. And move forward. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your wisdom and your guidance. We thank you for the ability to help us when we need you most. And Lord, I pray for this, myself and this congregation, that when we are in the straits of our lives, we are navigating those tough parts of our lives, that we have the boldness, we have the courage to leave our sinking situations. We have the boldness to realize that we are capable of doing remarkable things and that we are bold enough to ask and seek your help. Lord, continue to guide us. Thank you for second chances through Christ.